If you could, you get a crowd of people, let's say, like what we have in this room, but they're just average, everyday people. They're the people you work with, people live in your neighborhood, just, just random assortment of people. And you give them a little piece of notebook paper and a pen or pencil, and you say, look, I, I'd like you to consider what you think are the most important things that bring a person to have life in its best, uh, best quality. What matters the most in life? What are the things you just have to have in your life? You, you need to concentrate on. They're the most valuable. They're the most important. So here you have this random group of people, and they're writing things down on the list. And most of us, I think, we could kind of predict, and probably things came to your mind, what is the most important thing in life? And some people would probably write down, well, you have to have a good education. Uh, you, you have to have a good education so you can get a good vocation, you know, a good job. You need a good job. Some would say, well, you, you have to make enough money to live, you know, a, a non-restrictive life. Others would say it's relationships, man. It's all about relationships. And we'd have lots of combinations like that. And I don't think any of us would disagree with, with a lot of that, okay? But what we would probably agree would not be on the list. It, it would not be something called worship and, and I think the reason is is because worship it, it's just sort of an ethereal thing most people today consider it something that's you know optional at best there are some people that they're kind of you know they're sort of mystical they're sort of spiritually minded and worship for them is important and you can kind of go along with that but the word worship or worship as a concept probably wouldn't be on most people's list of the things that matter the most in life. The things that matter most in life, people pursue those things. People give their time to those things. Now, one of the reasons I think that worship wouldn't be on the list is because I don't think worship is clearly understood. What I'm gonna attempt to do in this series is, is to kind of demystify some things, and then we're gonna drill down as deep as we can and we're gonna look at this from a lot of angles in the next six weeks. But one of the problems that I think when it comes to this, this idea of worship is the pictures that come to mind. So typically, the pictures that come to our mind when we hear the word worship are probably something like this. We picture, you know, a church. We're church people. Uh, if I could go to the next one. You know, people in worship postures. If I could just go right ahead. Again, worship postures. And one more time. By the way, that's a Red Hot Chili Pepper concert. <laughs> But are they worshiping? Well, we'll have to see. <laughs> but um, let's take a, a, a snapshot. Let's open a photo album from heaven itself. And let's look at one picture of worship. And this is going to kind of be our guide through this series the next six weeks. And I know some of you are thinking, oh, man, I, I came, Brandon, because... I got this problem at home, man, and, and, and I got this problem at work, and, and I got this, this, this situation, and I was looking for something practical this morning, and you're telling me the next six weeks you're going to be talking about worship? Hang in there. Trust me on this, because here, here's what I believe, and I, I'm going to go further, what I know to be true. Worship actually is, once it's understood, once it's grasped, once it's internalized, worship actually is right now the number one thing that is determining the quality of my life and your life and the content of my character and your character. Worship, in fact, 
is the most important quality, the most important pursuit, the most important thing we can understand. We all care about uh, our happiness. We all care about our character development. And what we worship or how we worship or what we understand about worship is what is actually right now, right now affecting the quality of our lives as well as the content of our character more than anything else in life. We may not know that. We may not understand how that works, but hopefully by the end of this message today in this series, we, we will. So let's look at a snapshot from heaven of worship. Revelation chapter 5. When you come to Revelation chapter 5, I'm going to give you a little context. It, it is at the time when Christ is about to intervene once again in human history. He, he is about to use his power in a way that he never used it when he was on earth. He's going to use his power to deconstruct systemic evil on planet earth before he returns. And so it's a use of power that is a bit scary. We might call it God using his power in judgment. It's a deconstructive use of power. And that's the context in heaven that everybody's kind of just waiting to see what is about to happen. Here we go. Then I saw in the right hand of him who sat on the throne a scroll with writing on both sides and sealed with seven seals. And I saw a mighty angel proclaiming in a loud voice, who is, what is the key word? Worthy. Who, and I'm going to give you a little in advance, who is worthy to use this deconstructive power who can be trusted with that kind of power is the question in heaven. Who is worthy to break the seals and open the scroll, but no one in heaven, get this, no one in heaven, no angel, no one in heaven or, or on earth or under the earth could open the scroll or even look inside of it. So, so the search for somebody that's worthy to be entrusted with this kind of power, it's failing, it's faltering, it goes on. This is John the Apostle who was given the vision of the book of Revelation. He says, and I wept and wept because no one was found who was worthy to open the scroll or look inside. Then one of the elders said to me, do not weep. See the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David. Well, lion is the king of the jungle. This is talking about the power. They found somebody in heaven, in other words, that, that had the power and was rooted to the lineage of David, which is through which the Messiah was to come. See, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has triumphed. He is able to open the scroll and its seven seals, but then it all switches. It gets weird. Then I saw, what does it say? A lamb looking as if it had been what? slain standing at the center of the throne he went and he took the scroll from the right hand of him who sat on the throne and they sang a new song saying you are what is the word worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals why why was he worthy why was he worthy to use this deconstructive power this power to judge to tear things down to as it were do a demolition to clear the way for his intervention in the fullness of his kingdom why was he worthy because you were slain and with your blood you purchased for God persons from every tribe and language and people and nation it goes on worthy here it is again we see this word worthy now three or four times worthy is the lamb who was slain it's because he was slain now he's worthy to receive power wealth wisdom strength honor and glory and praise worship 
is really kind of like this. It's worth-ship. I want to deconstruct this. I want to get us to, to think. I want us to understand it inside out. Worship is not something ethereal. It is not something that's just geared to the mystical. It is not something that's just emotional, although that is certainly a component of it. Most of the things that we call worship are expressions of worship, but they're not really defining worship. Worship at its core is finding someone who is worthy. Now, let me give you a working definition. A working definition of worship, giving appropriate devotion to one who is considered worthy. Let's demystify this a little bit. It's simply saying you see certain qualities in someone. So let's consider a question. If someone was going to be the universal ruler of everyone and everything, the, the complete dictator of everyone and everything, what kind of qualities would make such a one worthy? Well, They'd first of all have to have the competence, right? They'd have to have the knowledge, the wisdom, the, the raw power to rule and reign. So they have to be competent, but competence is not enough. Just because you have the wisdom and the knowledge and the power, it doesn't mean that your character is sufficient. So they would need not just competence, but character. That's what we saw in Revelation 5. The lion of the tribe of Judah had the power to rule and reign and deconstruct the systemic evil of earth. But there was something more needed, and when they saw that the lion was the slain lamb, in other words, the one that's going to use this power to deconstruct systemic evil is the one who gave himself sacrificially for every man, every woman, every child that's ever been born. That the one that's going to use this power is one that is so gentle, so loving, that he he would sacrifice himself to win the trust of we humans who have broken his laws and broken his heart, but that's who he is. In other words, he's worthy to receive this power because he's the safest person in the universe. His power, his almighty, eternal power is always governed by his sacrificial love. And that's why all heaven breaks loose and says, you're worthy, you're worthy, you're worthy. We want you to rule. We want you to reign. We need your kingdom to come. We need your will to be done is in essence what it's about. So worship at its core, it is just this. It is giving appropriate devotion to one who is considered worthy. And it takes two things. It takes proven competence and proven character. You can't have, you know, one without the other. So Let's go to this then. The the message title today is this, the the drive to worship. Now, I'm going to make three statements that initially you might find a little controversial, but I hope by the end of the message you'll agree that they were at least reasonable statements to make. First statement, everyone worships. Now, I'm going to pause there a minute before we go to the next one because I know some of you are thinking, Randy, that's just statistically not true because, you know, in a world of 8 billion people, we know that about 500 million of them are either atheists or agnostics, and so it's not true to say that everyone worships. Bear with me, bear with me to the end of this message, and I think you'll see that that's not true, that both the atheist and the agnostic also worship, but we'll see as we go to the message. So first of all, everyone worships. Second statement, Everyone worships either the creator or his what? Creation. It's either or. It's either or. Knowingly or unknowingly, everyone is worshiping either the creator or that which he has created, which would include humans. Sometimes we knowingly or unknowingly worship 
human beings. Third statement. Everyone is shaped by what is, what is the word? Worship. In other words, the quality of our lives, be it good or bad or everything in between, the content of our character, who we are right now, it is shaped now, you got to get this because this is the part you're not, you're not going to agree with necessarily. It is shaped by what we actually worship. Not what we think we worship, but by what we actually worship. What are you saying, Randy? I'm saying our, con- the, our quality of our life and the content of our character is shaped by what we actually think is supremely worthwhile of our devotion. So it's, it's not what we say we worship, it's what we actually worship. It's what we actually give supreme attention and worth to that shapes the quality of our life and the content of our character. Uh, these, these are three truths that we want to start out with. Now, let's ask this question. Why, why does some worship the Creator? Because we said that everybody's worshiping. Some worship the Creator. Some worship what He created. Why do some worship the Creator? Here we go. First of all, it's the evidence from without, meaning in the external universe, uh, physical creation itself, you know, the, the things that physicists are interested in. But then it's also from within the world that philosophers and psychologists, it, it's, it's what's inside of us. So it's what's without us and what's inside of us that gives rational evidence, a, a, a rational basis for worshiping the Creator. In this portion of scripture in Romans, it starts out, it says, for the, the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness. Now, when we see this word wrath in scripture, we, we tend to think of, man, that's God's explosive anger. But that is not the way it is used. In fact, if you, and I challenge you, please do this, read all of Romans chapter one sometime on your own. And you'll see that the way his wrath is expressed, three different times in that passage, it says, and God gave them over, or God just let them go to their desires. In other words, God's wrath more than often is expressed in Scripture as God simply saying to me, Randy, if that's what you want to do, and you're stubborn and you're hard-headed, go ahead. I'll let you go. I'll let you learn hard. It's like the prodigal. Remember the, the parable that Jesus gave of the prodigal son? The son comes to the father. He says, hey, man, I want my inheritance, dad, before you die. <laughs> He's obviously up to no good. And dad says, okay, okay, you want it, you got it. God's wrath is more, more than often expressed in Scripture by him just saying to me, to you, to us, if that's the way you want to do it, go ahead, see for yourself. So do not think it is tragic to me that preachers have made this word wrath uh, you know, kind of some kind of explosive anger, you know, like lightning bolts from heaven. Because when you study the Bible objectively, that just isn't so. It just doesn't back it. Anyway, the wrath of God is revealed from heaven, meaning a society that we live in today where people just kind of do whatever in the heck they want, whatever they can get away with, and we have endless conflict and conflict and crime and war and all these things. The wrath of God is revealed from heaven today against all ungodliness. Now, what is ungodliness? It is people living as though God either does not exist, there is no creator, or if the creator exists, the creator doesn't really matter. This is the way our world functions today. Every TV program you watch, every song you hear, you know, every book you read, every news report, it's people going through life the 
best, the brightest, as though God either doesn't exist or if he exists, he really doesn't matter in real life. He's just for, you know, people that kind of have an interest in that sort of thing. So it's against all ungodliness and wickedness of men who by their wickedness suppress the truth. Well, what does that mean? By their wickedness suppress truth. It simply means this. We all, we all understand this if you break it down. With. We all know we don't want somebody to come and steal, for example, something that belongs to us. Therefore, if we ever steal something, we are blocking the truth that we know. If, if we all know we want to be treated with respect by everyone all the time. But if we don't treat uh, everybody with respect all the time, we're suppressing the truth that we know. Romans 2.13, uh, or 2.15, I believe it is, it says that the, the law of God is written on the hearts of human beings. We know the truth, but when we don't yield to that truth, in other words, we know we should respect everyone all the time, but when we don't respect everyone all the time, we're suppressing God's truth. He meant his truth to be lived out from us and revealed to the rest of the world and become a powerful, dominating influence. Anyway, that's what that verse means. Let me go on. Now, here's where it gets interesting. For what can be known about God, for what can be, here's a, a, the atheist and the agnostic, you know, answering to them, what can be known about God is, what is that first word? Plain. It's crystal clear. It's obvious. You can't miss it, is what it's saying. For what can be known about God is plain to them because God has what? shown it to them this is real personal this is God saying you know you can call yourself atheist you can call yourself an ag agnostic but I know what's in your mind and heart and I know better and I've made myself plain to you you know better he says how for ever since the creation of the world his invisible nature namely his eternal power and deity meaning that he's he's God the creator he's distinct he's immortal he's eternal has been clearly perceived in the things that have been what does it say made so that they are with that excuse what this is saying is this how many of you in here have either an iPad or a laptop or a computer of any sort can I see your hands all right which is easier to believe that a tornado blew through a junkyard and over a, a hundred thousand years it all came together and that's how you got your laptop and that's how you got your iPad or somebody with great purpose and brilliance and intelligence maybe a team of somebody's very carefully deliberately with a purpose in mind put that thing together now which is more believable that it happened by a complete accident or that it happened with intention we know we know that when we see complex things that someone with great intelligence and purpose had to construct that. When we see life and the multiforms of life we see on our planet, uh, God is saying you know that there had to be an original first cause, a first uh, life giver to everything. And to say that it all happened by accident is a leap into madness and irrationality. We can do that, but we do it to our own destruction. So God is saying when human beings look at creation, we know that he's there. We know that he's eternal. He's the first cause. There had to be a first cause. The first cause had to be eternal. And we know a lot about him. Here's how we know a lot about him. When we see how complex creation is, when we see how complex human beings are, 
We know this, this is a personal being, first of all. He's not a force. It's a personal being because if he was just a force, he would be inferior to us because we have personhood. We know that he's personal. We know that he's powerful. We know that he's intelligent. And we can go further. We can even know his character. Just from, you say, Randy, just from looking at creation and looking at other people, you can know the character of God? Yes, you can. But listen, God has given to each and every one of us two very powerful capacities, abilities. The power of observation and the power of reasoning. So let's, let's apply this to human beings. So we look at human beings and we see, well, some human beings are outright wicked and dangerous. We see some human beings are just, ah, they're kind of okay. And we see some human beings that are, they're just spectacular. They're kind, they're compassionate, they're generous. Their whole entire lives, they're just these beautiful, beautiful people. So if we can see that human beings have these different levels of character, it would make sense using our reasoning abilities that the creator would be higher and better than the best human being. He certainly wouldn't be inferior and evil is always inferior. Evil can't even live without the existence of goodness. And so we can just by observing creation and other human beings, we can, we can see that God, there had to be a God because everything doesn't come from nothing for no reason. That's madness, that's irrationality. Everything had to come from a personal creator who is eternal, almighty, has great, uh, great potential in mind when he created everything and that that creator would be better than the best human being because he's superior to it so just from observation and reason of creation we can see that, that God's eternal and that he's Christ-like because when God finally revealed himself in human form in Christ we see the most beautiful life that the, the world has ever observed. But we can, we can observe it. Therefore, when an agnostic says, well, I, I don't know, I don't know, or an atheist says, no, there is no God, it's foolishness because they don't know how much they don't know, but they should know. I mean, we only have a tiny bit of understanding of the universe itself, and so why couldn't God be outside of that? So the, the person, the atheist, really is saying there is no God. Well, that's, that's first of all, according to the real God. He says the one that looks into human heart says that's being dishonest. They're not being honest. So why do some worship uh, the creator? Because they see compelling evidence. They see compelling evidence in creation. They see compelling evidence inside of ourselves. We know that the law of God is written in our heart. Like I said earlier, we know that we want to be respected, so we should respect everyone. We know that we want to be treated with honesty, so we should be honest all the time. But we also know we falter in that. So the evidence is compelling, but, but we can go further now because now God has not just revealed himself in creation and in humanity. He's revealed himself in totality in the coming of Christ because the scripture says that that Christmas event was none other than the creator himself coming into this world in the form of a baby and ultimately a man and ultimately a man that went to the cross to prove to human beings that no one loves us like he loves us. No one knows what's best, wants what's best. No one's willing to suffer for us the way he is. No one is safer than him. And, and he goes to the cross to show that all my power, my almighty power is always governed by my sacrificial love. In other words, God comes in Jesus and says, I am for you, I am with you, I just need one thing from you. I can't help you, I can't rescue you from sin and self-destructive living unless, unless 
you're willing to trust me and to prove that I'm trustworthy I'm going to die on this cross for your sins for our sins he didn't sin it was our sins that he was dying for he's saying now that I, you can see that, I, that I'm for you and you can trust me I just need that one thing unless you trust me unless you become my followers I cannot help you I can't give you life I can't lead you into eternal life but if you'll trust me, that's it. You don't have to change anything. You don't have to be anything special. Trust me, and then I will help you and show you how to change so that we don't continue to destroy ourselves and hurt others around us. So he needs our trust. So some worship the Creator because the evidence is compelling. The evidence of creation, the evidence in the human character, the evidence now of Christ himself his life his sacrificial death his resurrection and now we have it all in the New Testament the Bible the Bible is this amazing it's not like any other religious writing on the planet I, I could spend days talking about it in how distinctive it is from all others it is compelling evidence that it's the one true revelation of the one true creator and so some worship the creator because there's just so much compelling evidence evidence without evidence within and of course now we have evidence in the scripture itself but we said earlier that, that not everybody worships the creator not everybody gives supreme worth to the creator we want to want to get that definition work in our minds worship means I'm giving supreme worth that that Christ the creator of the universe is supremely valuable and worthy of my devotion of my trust that is what worship means it's a dynamic concept it you'll, you'll see that as we go on it it has a, a lot to do with every part of our life but then there's some that that do worship that which is created so let's ask that why do some worship the created uh, here we can take in you know a lot of ground but let's let scripture once again let's let God himself tell us why some people choose choose to worship that which is created uh, rather than the creator so here we go back to Romans we're just picking up where we left off chapter 1 verse 21 yes they knew God remember we just read how he says he made himself plain to us in creation yes they knew God but they wouldn't worship him or give him the supreme worth that he deserved worship him as God or even give what even give him thanks so this is saying that humans can make and do make a decision sometimes to just say you know even though all the evidence is compelling that God is there and that he's worthy of supreme attention and devotion I just don't want to do that I'm just not going to give him the supreme attention I'm going to I'm going to make myself the center I'm going to give myself supreme attention and devotion and even though he's providing everything the next brain wave the next heartbeat the next breath uh, I'm not even going to be thankful. I'm just going to act like, for example, it all just came here by accident. It all just evolved. There was just this big explosion 13 and a half billion years ago, and everything came from nothing for no reason, and so on. So they knew God. They knew he was really there, but they wouldn't worship him as God, give him the worth that he deserved, or even give him thanks. And they began to think up foolish ideas of what God was like. As a result, their minds became dark and confused goes on claiming to be wise they instead became utter fools and instead of worshiping the glorious ever-living God they worshiped idols made to look like mere people birds animals and reptiles it goes on 
So God abandoned them. That's his wrath. He just backs off. In this book of Romans, like I say, it's, it's in the next verses after this, it's used three times. So God abandoned them or he gave us over to do whatever shameful things their hearts desired. As a result, they did vile and degrading things with each other's bodies. Now here's the key right here, verse 25. They traded the truth about God for a lie, so they worshiped and served. And notice those two concepts go together. What we worship, we serve, and what we're really serving is what we really worship. So they worshiped and served the things God created instead of the creator himself who is worthy of eternal praise amen but well, well, what, what do we mean by worshiping created things it means that we give supreme value to things such as other people or money or career satisfaction or family and, and all these things can be good kept in proportion but given giving them supreme devotion supreme worth we are taking life and making it revolve around our desires our ideas our, our hopes and dreams uh, we, we are we're the generation today that you know pursue your dream no matter what what if your dream is stupid I know lots of people that pursue <laughs> <laughs> stupid dreams <laughs> you know so okay you guys would probably recognize the name Copernicus Copernicus the Polish you know astronomer guy okay before Copernicus in the 16th century the best and the brightest human beings believed that the sun and all the planets revolved around the earth that the earth was the center of the solar system some of you are like and it's not <laughs> and then Copernicus you know through some observations and so forth he, he realizes oh we're completely wrong on this in fact everything revolves around the sun the earth revolves around the sun when we knowingly or unknowingly make ourselves my desires my dreams other people other places other things of more value than the creator and his way and his word and his will well now I have I have taken myself and made myself the center of the orbit and the center of the orbit is the creator and once I make myself the center of the orbit everything deteriorates everything starts to go awry and often we, we, we get a place in life where we say man I don't know how I got here I, I don't even know what to do I, I, don't, I don't know why things just never seem to work out I get what I want only to find I don't want what I got and then I don't know how to get in get out of what I got into and you know and, and we, we, we just we're restless and we're disappointed and, and maybe it's because we need a spiritual Copernican revolution. We need to get our lives revolving around our creator, giving him the supreme worth, which means that I'm going to trust him more than I trust myself, and I'm going to accept his word and will and design for my life because he is the designer. He has proved himself loving and sacrificially trustworthy by going to the cross. So I'm going to stop doing things my way because I trust him more than I trust me. He's worth more than me because he cares more than I care. But when we make ourselves the center and we are all good at this, I'm gonna tell you something. You're looking at a guy that's learned most things that I've learned the hard way. I can be hard-headed. I can be determined. And every time I've deterred from God's will knowingly or unknowingly, 
I find that this cycle starts to ensue. Here, here's what this cycle looks like. Disorientation. It says that, that even though they knew God, they wouldn't give him the credit, the worth that he deserved as God, but they became foolish in their thinking. Their minds got darkened. When we don't give God first place, and I want you to pause right now, and I want you to ask yourself this question. Does Christ actually have first place in your life? In other words, do you trust him supremely more than you trust yourself? Do you want, you desire his will more than you desire your own will? Do you live each day of your life seeking to learn his ways, learn his will, please him because you like him, you love him, you know he's got your best interest? Do, do you live each day seeking to be a, a, an example, a model, a communicator of his truth to others to the degrees you can? Is, is he the center of your life? It's a, it's a good question to ask. If not, we get disoriented. We're like, we're like a pre-Copernican uh, society. We think the world revolves around us and our desires. And when we, when we live that way, we're going to get further and further lost. We're going to get disoriented. And that leads to deterioration of character. We start doing things that we think are okay, but they're actually deteriorating our, our capacities, our, our God-given capacities to, to know what is true and to feel what is right and what is wrong. We start to deteriorate. Things that we once would never have dreamt of doing, now we do them when we don't even feel a twinge of conscience. We first get confused, disoriented, then we get deteriorating, and that leads to desperation. We start living like this. It's like, okay, I know I'm only going to be alive for a little while. I don't know when I'm going to die, but I do know I'm going to die. So here's what I'm going to do. First of all, I'm going to try to stay alive as long as I can, self-preservation. And then while I'm alive, I'm going to try to get as much pleasure as I can, self-gratification. We start living desperately. You've got to get your bucket list. got to get it all in quick because you don't know when you're going to die. You don't know when the reaper's coming. And so we just start living recklessly and crazily, and masses of the best and brightest people live in this desperation cycle because... They are the center of the orbit instead of their creator, Christ. It leads to desensitization. Like I say, our conscience starts to deteriorate our conscience, which was meant to you know, govern our feelings and thoughts and behavior. It no longer has the power to do that. Degradation of our bodies, that passage talked about. We start doing things physically, sexually, that we shouldn't be doing, that God didn't model to do. And it ultimately leads to our destruction. So, so this cycle when we are not giving God supreme worth, it always backfires. It just doesn't work. And some of you right now, <laughs> you've been fighting this for years, maybe decades. You've got, come on, we're all, we're all just people here. Let, let's be real today. You've got certain areas of your life that you just say, you know, when it comes to that particular area of my life, uh, when it comes to the way I handle my sexuality, when it, when it comes to the way I handle my money, when it comes to the way I handle my time, when it comes to the way I handle my career, uh, you fill in the blank, whatever it is, but there's, there's certain areas that we kind of fence off and we say, you know, I, I'll kind of go with God on this one, but when it comes to this, I'm going to do this one my way. And we think, we actually, we think we're getting away with something. It's impossible. We're just living contrary to the laws of our own being and payday's coming. Remember that old transmission commercial they used to say, you can pay me now or you can pay me later? How many are old enough to remember that? Well, I don't remember what the company was, but that's it. We're, we're, just, we're just putting off payday. We're just kicking the can down the road. We're all people. We're all in the same situation. Our creator 
knows what is best, wants what is best, is worthy of our trust, is worthy of our supreme devotion. He doesn't need it. This is the terrible idea that exists in most people's minds. Most people think that God wants us to worship him because it makes him feel good. You know, when, when we worship, man, he checks it off in his book. I'm happy with you today. You, I saw you. You did this. You know. Now, don't get me wrong. You can do that because you love God passionately. It's cool. But, but we have this notion that worship is something we, we pay, we give to God, as opposed to something that we desperately need. He is the only one worthy of my entire attention, entire trust, entire devotion. And when I do his will, I do what is best for myself. Now, we all learn this lesson either the easy way or the hard way, and I've done both. And I'm sure most of you have too, but I, but I want to go again to some of us who maybe have dug in deep in some area in our life for way too long. I want you to consider, give your creator the chance to change that area of your life, no matter how disruptive it may be for a time. All right, when you see this word, what comes to mind? Probably something like this, right? <laughs> but that's because you and I are not physicists. If we were a physicist, here's what would come to mind. The theory of everything. Physicists and philosophers, the physicists look outward in the universe, the philosophers look inward in the human psyche. They are constantly in search of the theory of everything. Stephen Hawking spent his entire life trying to search for the theory of everything. And at the close of his life, he finally said, I don't think humans are, it's possible for humans to find the theory of everything. Of course not. When you exclude the creator from his own creation, you're never going to find the answer. What do they mean, the theory of everything? They're looking for the key. We humans are inquisitive beings. We're always saying, I know this has got to make sense somehow, somewhere. How does it all fit together? How does it all make sense? What we're really looking for is the key to life, the key to understanding, the ultimate organizing principle, the thing that gives everything else value, puts everything else in place, organizes. We can organize our life around and say, now I've got it. Now I know how it's supposed to be done. We're always kind of looking for that. Now, sometimes we just get so distracted that we forget uh, the quest that, that God actually wants us to have. But here's what I want to, as I'm closing down, this is the key. Worship, worship is, first of all, this. The ultimate organizing principle of our life. I don't know what thoughts you came in with today when you hear the word worship. And I tend to think we, most of us, we think when we hear the word worship of expressions of worship, as we showed in those earlier pictures. But that is not worship. That, that's not the definition of worship. Worship is, in fact, the ultimate organizing principle of our life. It sets God at the center, and now our life orbits around Him, and we learn who we are we learn why we're here we learn how we're designed to live we learn what the truth is about life why things are so chaotic today how it's all going to end what the future holds everything that we can count on we learn from him and when we put him in the center it becomes the organizing principle in other words if god is given the place of supreme worth supreme value in my life 
I'm going to learn his way. I'm going to learn his will. I'm going to hunger for his word. I'm going to live the way he designed me because I trust him. And now my life starts to find order. It starts to find increasing harmony. It starts to find increasing satisfaction and peace. I start getting more results and less consequences in life. All these things start to occur. It, worship, though, is a dynamic concept. So please don't think of it as just expressions. Expressions are wonderful, but it's meant to be the ordering principle, the organizing principle of our life. Let me go on. Worship is not optional. We treat it, most Americans, and we started this talk out about get a room full of people and ask them what's important in life, and they say, oh, it's relationships, it's money, it's vocation, it's, it's education. But they wouldn't consider worship important, but it is. Worship is not optional or insignificant. Right now, each of us are the product of whatever kind of worship we practice. It shapes the quality of our lives and the content of our character. That's the reality. It is a dynamic concept. We need to understand it. We need to drill down deeper. We need to internalize some things about it. Now, I'm just curious. How many of you, <laughs> before, you uh, before you come out to go anywhere, you, you take like a last look in the mirror? Can, can I say how many? You, you acknowledge. You're, you're vain enough. You take a last look in the mirror. And, okay, well, I hope you do. <laughs> Some of you are like, what's a mirror? I don't know. <laughs> um, in fact, in fact, I'll put my neck out here. Um, can I see the hands of men that are 40 years old and up? Can I just see your hands? Okay, quite a few of us. Okay, you may already have this, but if you don't, if you're 40 and up, you need this. You need a magnifying mirror <laughs> with lots of light. Because once you get 40, things start happening, bad things. Uh, things start growing, you know, at, growing out of here. And when we shave, we miss a couple hairs, and they get like this long hanging off our neck. <laughs> so yeah, 40 and up, man, you need that magnifying mirror. Trust me on that one. We got to make the best of what we got. It's not easy for some of us. I'm, I'm one of them, you know. Um, the mirror helps us to make the best of what we got and if we see something glaring we, we can make a correction before we go out and you know show that glorious part of ourselves to the world you know God's got a mirror he's got a mirror of worship would you like to before you leave today take a look into God's mirror of worship you will see what worship is in his eyes and you will see yourself now we tend to want to take a last look before we go out. Do you want to take a last look today into God's mirror of worship before you go out today? And we're looking into the mirror with full recognition. We might see some things that are going to need changing or that we might want to change. You want to look at the mirror? Yeah. All right, here we go. Here's God's mirror. So then, my friends... Because of God's great mercy to us, I appeal to you, offer yourselves as a living sacrifice to God. Now, now, most Christians that are familiar with this verse stop there, either unconsciously or consciously. That is not the place to stop. And, and, and what it tends to get you know, presented as is, okay, if you're here today and you've never surrendered yourself to God, 
May this be the day that you say, oh, Jesus, you can have my life and my body, yada, 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 yada. Doesn't amount to jack in most cases. Really doesn't. You, you, you see, you have to let the rest of the verse interpret what giving our lives a living sacrifice to God actually looks like. So let's look at it. So we're going to offer ourselves as a living sacrifice to God, but now he's going to explain what that means. Dedicated to his, what is the word? Service. Service. Here's the mirror. I'm looking in the mirror. Am I, am I dedicated to the service of God? Can I look in areas and I can see that I'm serving God here and I'm serving God there and I'm serving God here and I'm serving, or does the mirror show there's no service it's in my head, I want to, but I'm, but I'm not actually doing it. Dedicated to his service and, and pleasing to him. The mirror. Do I go into my workplace? Do I go into all my relationships? Do everything I go, everywhere I do, is it all my thought but because I just love him? He's won my trust. He's won my affection. I've never seen someone so worthy, someone so beautiful, someone so trustworthy. I want to please him. I'm not afraid of him. I'm not trying to win points or rewards. I'm not trying to make sure I go to heaven. I just have seen someone that is so lovely, so worthy. And I want to be like him. And I do. I want to please him every day, everywhere, all the time. That's the mirror of worship. God says when I look and define worship, it is those that are serving me everywhere they can, all the time that they can, in every way that they can. They're taking their gifts, their talents, their experiences. They're taking everything that God's given them and they're just trying to serve him in his kingdom. They want to see his church develop. They want to see his kingdom expand. They want to see others come to know the truth about God and the truth about life. And they just do it because they've seen him, they believe he's worthy, and they believe there's nothing better that I can ever do to another human being or to my world than to give myself to serving God everywhere that I can, every time that I can. And I want to please him. This is God's mirror. If we want to know, am I a worshiper? There it is. There's the criteria. It's 24-7 other than when we're asleep. It's just living a life where God is now the center. And not me, not my stupid desires and my stupid dreams that usually end in futility or worse. But I'm saying, I, I get it. I get it. I understand man cannot live apart from his creator, at least not live healthy, not reach his full redemptive potential, not be the blessing that God intended us to be to every life that we come across and touch. Don't waste your time. We all don't know how much time we have. Don't waste it. Live intelligently. Let there be a Copernican revolution if needed in your life where Christ becomes the center. Actually, and not our own desires and our own ideas and our own stupid fenced off areas of our life that we fence off to our own disorientation and destruction. So here's the mirror. Give yourself as a living sacrifice to God, dedicated to His service, pleasing to Him. This is the, what does it say? True worship that you should offer. This is cool, man. This is cool. An expression of worship. I'm with you. You know, if it's coming from a heart full of adoration and affection. 
but this is worship in God's mirror it's active it's consistent it's lifelong it becomes the organizing principle follow me now the organizing principle for every other part of our lives and when we let this be the organizing principle we will increasingly will know by experience oh, man this is the way it was supposed to be this is the way we're designed to live this is this is the way I always knew life could work and now I get it now I get it so here we are today we've got God's mirror up in our face we all have an opportunity to make changes just like we have opportunity to make changes with that big magnifying mirror men you need it um, <laughs> what are we going to do you know what you know what some of us do we break the mirror we throw it away we push it out of our mind we, 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 we say, you know, I, I'm, I've got my life in a comfortable place and I'm not going to let anyone tell me how to live or change the way I'm doing things because it calls for some humility and, and, and maybe we're afraid of humility. We think humility is weakness, humility is strength. So God's Spirit's kind of reaching out to us today and He's saying, you know, I gathered you all here because I wanted to show you a new vision of worship the real vision of worship it is meant to be the organizing principle of all of your life and it comes with the promise of God that it will bring joy increasingly peace increasingly but more importantly an effective existence as a human that will actually be prepared for the eternal world to come seize it because you were always meant for it we are born to be worshipers everybody's worshiping something or someone either the Creator or his creation let's pray father you know us you know how how deeply dug in we can get with some habits some ideas some pursuits you know how proud and puffed up we can be how hard-headed stubborn you know how scared some of us can be you know how complex we've made some of our lives I know your good spirit is here this morning though to try to draw us out to put Christ actually in the center, become those that, that live a life of service to you and others and that live to please you because there's no higher good we can ever do to ourselves or anyone else than to live that way. May your spirit wrestle with us if necessary until we become worshipers in spirit, in truth, in word, in deed. It's in Christ's name I pray, amen.